0: Please stand for the reading of the word from Matthew 5. I'll read the parts that say leader, and we invite you to respond when it says church. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. For they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek. For they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they will be killed. Blessed are the merciful. For they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart. For they will God. Blessed are the peacemakers. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under the bushel basket but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. Well,
1: church, what an opportunity, what an honor. Do you realize what it takes to put this together? You know, I think I do. And then I come to do something like this morning and I'm like, wow. So if you would join me in thanking all of our technicians, our worship leaders, our staff, our elders, all who serve in these valuable, our videographers, all of these people. Can we just give them a great big thank you? It's it's really an impressive group. Now, I know we started the service with a song that some of us with snow on the roof really sang out. (laughs) Count your blessings. Name them one by one. Count your many blessings. See what God has done. That song resonates in my heart and mind all of the time because growing up, we sang it every time we were on the way to church. We sang, and by the way, we went to church not only three times a week, but even more. We sang it as we worked around the house. We sang it on any car trip, and we sang it when we just gathered to sing together. I think, in fact, it was my mother's theme song, her anthem. My mother could count blessings more than any person I'd ever met and still have ever met. If life gave her lemons, and it often did, mother didn't make lemonade. She made lemon meringue pie and invited the neighborhood. You know, it kind of bugged me growing up. And by the way, for you teenagers listening, remember this, the things that sometimes you don't like now, you will grow to love and appreciate in the future. But life didn't feel all that blessed growing up. My dad was a recovering alcoholic. He started sobering up when I was two. And any of you who've known what it's like to live with people who are coming out of addiction, it's hard. Money was scarce. I can remember a car being repossessed, a television being repossessed, the bank calling frequently to say that my parents were overdrawn again. Now they worked hard. They really did. It just couldn't quite seem to make ends meet. There weren't only a lot of us in the house, there were also a lot of extra people that came. We didn't call them foster parents because at that time it wasn't part of the system. But somebody was always staying with us who was in trouble or in need. My parents were really very generous. People have often said, well, was it a Christian home? It was. But it was a first-generation Christian home. And once again, if you know what that means, it means that we were learning a lot about what it meant to love God and to love others. Life was often chaotic, sometimes even abusive. But like I said, I've never known more generous people in my life. But the truth is, I simply didn't feel blessed, always. I often felt hurt. I felt sometimes ashamed. I felt sometimes my, because my clothes didn't fit or they didn't look right or I didn't have what others had. I didn't always feel blessed. And I want us to think, keep that, hold that thought in mind throughout this sermon but this is a place of blessing. Any of you who've even been here more than a month know that on this stage, we do all kinds of blessings. We do baby blessings, kindergarten blessings, high school blessings, senior blessings, marriage blessings, baptismal blessings, educators blessings, faith works blessings, and I could go on and on. We are a people of blessing. And I think that's because blessing is a really important part of any community of faith. Years ago, my spouse and I were headed to Africa and we had been told by the missionaries there that it was very likely we would not be able to communicate with our children. Apparently thieves kept stealing the copper wiring that was used to keep television and telephone and other, of course we didn't have cell phones at that time, but other forms of media together. Well, Jessica, our oldest, Simone's mom, was about to be a senior in high school. And I thought, you know, just to be really prepared in case something terrible would happen, I better write her senior blessing now. So I sat down at the typewriter, yes, and wrote a senior blessing for Jessica. Well, then I got to think well, if something really did happen, I better write one for Jocelyn And and then there's Jay. Well, what about if we weren't there for their weddings? I better write something for their weddings. And in truth, maybe I ought to write something for the grandchildren. Because you see, I had grown up with this mother who believed in blessings. And it was 10 or 12 pages, single space typed, and anybody who read it cried. But to to tell you about Mother and her blessing, a story that perfectly illustrates who she is and how she lived. Dad had died in 1999, and I was going frequently to visit, just to be sure she was okay. My sisters both lived there, so I knew she was cared for, but I'm talking about her spirits. It was February, and I kind of got a virus, and I called her on Thursday night, and I said, Mom, I can't come this weekend. I've got the fever, and I'm afraid I would be contagious. She said, well, Janine, that's really good. Mom, how is it good that I have a fever and can't come see you? She said, well, you see, one of the neighbors shot one of, by the way, her many cats, and it crawled under the house and infested the house with fleas. Mother, how is it? Flea-infested house a good thing. Well, she said, you see, there was a leak in the butane tank. It went under the house, and it killed all the fleas. (laughs) Well, Mom, I'd like to know how a gas leak is a good thing. She said, well, it is the funniest thing. But I was in the bathroom the other day and I realized there was a a pipe broken under the bathroom and it washed all the gas and the fleas away and I just had to call a repairman and everything just turned out fine. That was my mom. And I love her for it. But the truth is that blessing is important. It's important to our community of faith. It's important to our families. It's important to our lives but I often wonder if we really know what it means to give and to receive a blessing. Whether we are consciously aware of it or not, I think we are hoping that those we love and appreciate, those that we want to honor, will have a happy and prosperous life with a loving family, a successful career, good health, and so much more. But simply put, I don't think those are indicators of God's blessing at all. Now, I want to be careful here, because yes, I thank God for every good thing in my life. I do. And yes, I pray to God and ask God's presence in every difficult moment of my life, but I think many times we have been influenced by something that I want you to consider. Our culture, and sometimes even our religion, whether intentionally or not, make it seem as if all those good things are an inevitable part of living a life of faith. However, if I ask for a show of hands today, how many of you have experienced hardship, rejection, failure, income loss, poor health, difficult relationships, loss of a loved one? I don't imagine there would be one hand that wasn't raised, because it's the way life is. And, and if it wasn't something beforehand, we've all just lived through a worldwide pandemic that has left us exhausted and, and confused with a lot of heartache, worry, and challenges. So we may not be feeling really blessed right now. The expectation that our faith will be rewarded with earthly gains is the best example of a false gospel I know of in Christianity today. Kate Bowler, a professor at Duke University, a faithful Christian who herself has cancer, debunks what is known as the prosperity gospel. She spent years visiting churches and interviewing individuals who adhere to this form of gospel for her doctoral dissertation, and she's written about it in a book called Everything Happens for a Reason, and other lives, lies that I've loved. She found that (coughs) believers wanted an escape from poverty, failing health, and the feeling that their lives were leaky buckets. Some people wanted Bentleys, but more people wanted relief from the wounds of their past and the pain of their present. People wanted salvation from bleak medical diagnoses. They wanted to see God rescue their broken teenagers or their misfiring marriages. They wanted talismans to ward off the things that go bump in the night. They wanted a modicum of power over the things that ripped their lives apart at the seams. The prosperity gospel is a theodicy and an example of how we explain the problem of evil. It is the answer to the questions that take our lives apart. Why do some people get healed and others don't? Why do some people leap and land on their feet while others tumble all the way down? Why do some babies die in their cribs, and some bitter souls live to see their great grandchildren? The prosperity gospel looks at the world as it is and promises a solution. It guarantees that faith will always make a way. Now, I'm not saying by any stretch of imagination that I have ever heard or, or seeing this gospel preached in this church or in any classroom in it. So please don't misunderstand me. I don't think it's something that we have necessarily been taught. I think it's something that we sometimes carry with us subconsciously from our culture. Basically, it's a gospel that equates lack of suffering or difficulties with right living. And, and many of us grew up thinking we had to earn our way that, that if I didn't do right and do enough and do it well, then I couldn't have salvation. That's, this is not the same. This is basically saying that if I live for Christ, God is supposed to spare me from heartache, pain, broken relationships. In other words, I will be blessed. What I am suggesting is that all of us have been influenced by the prosperity gospel, whether we know it or not. Do you think I wasn't influenced by it when I wrote those blessings for the children in my absence and for their weddings and for the grandchildren? But an example, someone's in a terrible car crash and maybe one or two people survive and others don't. The person who survives will often say, well, God was with me. God saved me. And I wouldn't disagree with that. But I would ask the question, was God also not with the one who died? Are with those who will suffer that loss? Of course, God is with both. When my first husband, Mike Warren, died here in Abilene in the 1970s, helping to fight a fire, I grieved hard. I grieved not only the loss of his life, but for the children that we will never have together. Obviously, I have been blessed with wonderful children, not only the three biological children, but now three in-law children and six grandchildren. You met Simone this morning. But the question I've often asked, would I have been blessed if I had never married again, remained single, and never had children? And I believe I would. In an earlier summer, summer the, excuse me, sermon this summer, Shane took us, by the way, last week up to the mountain at the end of Matthew's Gospel. But earlier in the, in the summer, he took us to some of the early events in Jesus' life, and I'd like to review those with you for just a moment, because I think they have a lot to say about blessing. He, remember, he described, as he was preaching to us about baptism, Jesus' own baptism. You remember the events, Matthew 3? Jesus is there to be baptized by John, and John argues. I, I don't need to be. you don't need to be baptized by me, I need to be baptized by you, but Jesus wants to fulfill all righteousness and so he is and as he is the spirit descends upon him as a dove and a voice from heaven declares this is my beloved son in whom i am well pleased in many senses in every sense i would say jesus gains god's blessing in that event can you imagine what it felt like to have a dove descend upon you to have that voice God's approval. And I believe it even deepened Jesus' relationship with God. Not that it perhaps needed deepening, but I think it did anyway. According to Matthew, Jesus is then led into the wilderness by the Spirit to be tempted by Satan. And we know that he withstands the temptation and is victorious over sin in his own life and will be over ours in the cross. But then he goes up on a mountain to deliver what we call the Sermon on the Mount, but we'll pay particular attention today to the Beatitudes. When I place this sermon in its context of Jesus' baptism, Jesus' temptation, and Jesus' preaching, I believe that he is blessing his followers out of the rich blessing that he has received from God. And let's remember. The people that are hearing this message originally were in a tough spot. They were overcome and ruled by Rome. They had financial difficulties. They were socially exhausted. They weren't sure what in the world God was doing in their world or with them. And and these words had to have been a balm on their weary souls. Later, when this gospel was written to Jewish Christians who had to have been struggling with their own identity, their ethnic identity, compared to their religious identity, what it meant to be Jewish, what it meant to be Christian, and now us crazy Gentiles had joined the pack. And Jesus speaks these words. The Beatitudes are a declaration of blessing, and yes, some translations say happy. Happy are, and, and, and it is a good translation if you understand its meaning. It is not happy, as in some fleeting, wonderful little emotion I have from time to time, nor is it about the circumstances of life, if I've got everything lined up right now. Instead, this happiness is about a deep joy, a deep, meaningful relationship that comes with God. And we have to note, from what Nancy read to us earlier, that Jesus' blessings are not conditional. We will not be blessed if we become poor in spirit, if we become mournful, meek, hungry and thirsting for righteousness, merciful, pure in heart, peacemakers, and persecuted. We are blessed because we are all of these things in Christ. It is a change in our perspective, both about the gospel and about blessedness but I think it's a significant one. Bowler is gonna challenge us to consider. She says, what would it mean for Christians to give up their little piece of the American dream that says you are limitless? Everything is not possible. The mighty kingdom of God is not yet fully here. What if rich did not have to mean wealthy and whole did not have to mean healed? What if being people of the gospel meant that we are simply people with good news? God is here. We are loved. It is enough. This understanding frees us to be grateful to God at all times and to realize that we live in the blessedness of life with the Lord, whether our suffering ends or we remain in it. Either way, our relationship can grow. Several years ago, I interviewed a dear friend, Glenn Johnson, who was dying of ALS, often known as Lou Gehrig's disease. And Glenn said something very profound. She said, I prayed that God would heal me. And she said, but I've learned that God heals in three ways. Sometimes God performs a miracle of healing, and that's what we want. But God has not chosen to heal me that way, she said. Sometimes God uses medicine or medical staff to help heal. But God has not chosen that with me. But God is healing me by changing me more and more to be like God. The blessings that Jesus gives gives us a meaning and it's a proclamation of love, affirmation, faith, and hope. It's almost as if as we hear these words, a dove is descending on us in this, as in the form of the Spirit, and the voice comes from heaven You are my beloved, in whom I am well pleased. Now, I'm going to struggle for just a moment with what I'm about to say, and I've even wondered if I should include it in this sermon. <clears throat> I know that I'm a sinner, and all of us are, but that is not my identity. Years ago, when I was teaching at Abilene High, one of my students said, Ms. Reese, do you ever lie? I said, I do. She said, I knew it. I knew if you Christians were hypocrites. And I said, well, honey, if I had said I didn't lie, that would have been a lie, and then it would have been a hypocrite. Now, I don't think she caught on. But, but I was saying to her, it's not my way of life. And I think that's important for us to keep in mind. I acknowledge that I'm a sinner, but it is not my way of life. A, a beloved pastor of one of my friends in Dallas often says to his church, are you a group of sinners who need to be redeemed? And there may be some among us who, for whom that's true. Or are you saints who are redeemed and sometimes sin? I think that Jesus is providing us with our true identity and blessing us in it. The first, beatitude to the poor in spirit, I have come to believe is the overarching principle of the whole set of blessings. And, and most scholars that I read talked about it being that sense of falling down before God in great repentance for my sin. And by the way, I would always want to do that. I want to be always repentant of my sin. But I think poverty of spirit is more than that. I think it is standing before God with all that I am, all that I have, all that I do, and standing in that fullness, not like the Pharisee in the story of the Pharisee and the sinner, which is what we're afraid of, that we'll be boastful and proud, but standing before my God and recognizing that even as I stand in all my fullness compared to the greatness of our God, I'm very small. I'm not that significant, yet God has chosen And God loves and God has blessed each of us. I think that's what it means to have poverty of spirit. And yet, once again, it's not without difficulty because the very last of the Beatitudes, which sums them up, is blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and say all kinds of manner of evil against you falsely for my sake just as they did the prophets of old, but rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. Each of the beatitudes in between these two, and by the way, the reward for each of those is the kingdom of heaven, present tense. In the Kate Bowler uh, quote we had, I put in fully because I believe we are living in the kingdom now of heaven. I believe we have our eternal life and it will continue to be unfolded. But... I think being poor in spirit in this way leads us to being able to live into the characteristic that Jesus pronounces in between. Four, the first four are about our relationship with God, the next four are about our relationship with each other, but here's the most beautiful part. Every reward is about our relationship with God. Every one of our characteristics deepens our relationship with God. Today is a day about celebrating our national freedom. And that's fine. I don't have any problem with it. Simone and I will probably go to the fireworks just as you will. But I hope that we will celebrate so much more every day as we live in the sense of blessedness that we have been given in Christ. Thank you, church. May God bless you in all things. Church, if you will stand, And whereas when we give a blessing, we reach our hand out, if you're willing, would you reach your hands forward to receive a blessing? Blessed are you, church, for your poverty of spirit, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you who are mourning, for you will be comforted. Blessed are those who are meek, for... Your will, you will inherit the earth. Blessed are you when you hunger and thirst for righteousness, for you will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for each of you will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for you will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are you when others will revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. You are the salt of the earth. Don't lose your saltiness. Create thirst and give flavor. You are the light of the world. And let's remember that none of us alone can be the light on the hill. It requires all of us being God's blessed people together go